0: It's a very fascinating story that you're telling me. I would like to hear more. While you stand here and forget where you were going, and I slowly turn you into trees. Hello again, and welcome to House of Bards, the podcast where, honestly, we talk bollocks about Dungeons & Dragons and various other RPG games uh, for an hour and five minutes, generally, and then pretend that it has something to do with a more storytelling-focused way of playing the game. Mm. I think that's the point we're at right now, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, like...
0: Like, occasionally, like today, uh, there's a slightly more relevant topic than normal. Yeah. Because today we're going to talk about uh, improv as a DM. Mm. So as a, as a character, you're kind of always improvising. That's true, Because you're yeah. having to be constantly reacting to whatever the, the DM is throwing at you. But for a Game Master, it's kind of different um, because there will be a point, I think, um, where regardless of how well you think you've laid out your campaign or your scenario... Your players will do something weird and go off the beaten track, and you'll have to uh, try and play catch up. And if you're anything like any of the DMs that I have ever met, uh, that point will be almost immediately.
1: <laughs> it's true. Mm. I think it was my. It was the second session you guys decided to go off the beaten track, and I was like, shit! I didn't plan anything for this, and now I've got to make it up. Why didn't they go here first instead? But no,
0: There was no. a point where you guys decided to go to an entirely different country to the one that you had decided to like go and offer humanitarian aid to. That was fun. We're <laughs> just hey. like, here are all these refugees from the empire that we're going. To. Let's not go to the empire. Let's go to Varash instead.
1: I know what happened. I I was like, I was like getting well set to go to the empire, and then suddenly, we're on the port, <laughs> and Silas and Marion are like, yeah, we're going to Varash, and I'm like.
0: And it was terrible.
1: What? (laughs) I was like, oh, this is going to be awful and shit. And I was right. Jay and I were right. It was shit. Mm.
0: It's just a shitty country. It's
1: awful.
0: It's terrible. Um, So it's important, I think, as a DM, for you to be able to um, improvise content for when things go wrong. Well, not,
1: um, not, not go wrong, but well, no, 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 go in an unexpected direction, shall uh, we say.
0: Because you could railroad the players, but I'm guessing you probably don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, or at the very least, you don't want to make it clear to the players that you are railroading them. Yeah. And, Generally, what yeah. DMs do in their hubris is to set up what they think is the path that players will want to take through the scenario and populate that and then just... Like you know, spread a couple of things around for uh, for minor hiccups, uh, and then the players just there's a whole lot of reasons players can divert. Like either they don't want to do the the main plot thing, or uh, they interpret the impetus to do it completely differently. Like maybe they don't trust an important NPC at all. They think that that guy is shifty or something, or maybe they just think that the path you expect them to take is a stupendously bad idea. Uh, that happens to me a lot in Call of Cthulhu. Mm. Uh, which I have been playing a lot of recently. Um, It happened quite catastrophically with an experimental scenario that I was, I'd set up. Um, I'd been all in on players like sticking around in this uh, town, uh, this spooky horror town. And, um, setting up like a a long-term survivable means for them to escape that would allow them to see lots of the town players didn't like that at all Mm. players were freaked the fuck out by the stuff that they found uh convinced themselves that they were in imminent and present danger and decided to try and escape um as clumsily as they could as quickly as possible which kind of killed the mood a lot so but regardless of how in sync you are with your players, there's always going to be points other than that where a DM needs to um, improvise things, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah.
0: You've got like things like character voices. Yeah,
1: and yeah. But beyond that, I think I I always improvise things like loot um, and sometimes encounters as well. Mm-hmm. But that can be done with like random roll tables. Like
0: it's really good to get a set of tables. Um, yeah. I talked a lot uh, in favour of Donjon Dot mm. Uh, for really, really quick uh, tables for what currently scales in level with your party if you don't want to be mean to them and lives in the kind of environment that they would be traversing at that current time. Mm -hmm. But if you can get to tables from the DMG or even write up tables that will be most relevant to what you are doing ahead of time, that would be great because it takes a whole lot of stress off you.
1: I remember being absolutely furious that there had been a um, random weather generator in the um, DMG, um, and it was much better than the one I was using. I was, like, fuming. I was like, ah, this one makes so much more sense than the one I've been using. Um, Uh,
0: A friend of mine, actually, who uh, alternate DMs with me uh, on two different games uh, on Tuesdays, actually has uh, an eight-sided die with cardinal directions printed on it. Mm. And he actually uses that quite a lot for a variety of different geographically relevant things, like um, what direction wandering monsters are in, uh, what direction the wind is blowing from, stuff like that. That actually comes up a hell of a lot, what direction the wind is coming from. There's a lot of like hot air balloons and shit like that that we have to contend with.
1: Well, I I didn't know you could get um, cardinal direction dice, but I'll have to see about getting one. Yeah, it's, yeah.
0: It's, it's pretty pretty good. I mean, of course, uh, all you really need is a table where you assign each number on an eight-sided die no, to well, a cardinal yeah. direction, and then you can just do it. It's fine. Yeah,
1: of course. Um, though I think something that is tricky is, of course, making up things like dungeons on the spot. I don't think I could ever do that.
0: Again, there's a dungeon, dungeon tool for that, and I yeah. really encourage you to use it. The dungeons it makes aren't great. Mm. Uh, you are... You are essentially emulating being a roguelike if you're going to do that <laughs> immediately on the spot. Yeah. But if you have a plan for a couple of rooms that you need there to be in the dungeon that are relevant and you want just a bunch more rooms to like pad it out a bit, absolutely Dungeon's got you covered.
1: All right, there we go.
0: Cannot recommend that resource enough. Hmm. But yeah, that's not a great thing to do, particularly because it makes all of your dungeons look kind of the same. Yeah. But if you don't use dungeons a lot, which I actually don't, come to think of it. There are a lot of things that I've noticed don't turn up frequently in games that I run. Uh, Dungeons are one of them. People Mm. who are married is another, and I might talk about that at some point later, because that's (laughs) that's a bit weird.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I have quite a lot of... I know that, like... I mean, this is kind of typical of me, but straight people don't tend to turn up in my games all that well, much. that's
0: why I noticed it. I was like, there are so many same-sex relationships in Beth's games, hey. and now I feel bad because, like, I'm surely, you know, as inclined to do that as Beth. Why are there not like more like gay and bi and pan people in my games, like in those kinds of relationships? And I'm like. Because people in my games don't actually tend to turn up in relationships at all. Oh, that's like that's true, When I think yeah. off the top of my head, how many people have definitely been married who have turned up in my game? Like, all I can think of is that middle-class couple whose child was being terrorized by a skeleton. Yeah. That's it.
1: That's it. The only
0: married people who have ever appeared.
1: I know. And I, I, I think it's just because it's... I know, if, like, me, I'm like as i've said pre- in a previous podcast, I like to pair everyone off and get everyone together um in like, I think
0: I like don't <laughs> do that like, know, yeah. in
1: like neat little like not necessarily always couples, but in like you know
0: relationships or yeah some, so.
1: and i i like I like it when people have known each other before, and I think as well as I've established before, a lot of these are existing characters from a book I'm working on. Hmm. So the, those relationships make sense to carry over, but yes I, I know I, I do have a lot of them but I think that's just what what I do and I've always done it since I was about 14? 15?
0: It's just very strange <laughs> to me to notice that when I'm generating characters and locations and relationships on the fly, I will generate tons of relationships very very few of them are romantic between characters I control Yeah, uh, and yeah, barely any of them are married. Like, I have a whole load of world... World leaders? I guess world leaders, you want to call them. Yeah. And, like, who's single? The King of Varash is single. Uh, the President of Meslin, I think all three of them have been single. Uh, the Emperor of the Elves is single. It's And it's like... What? Like, all of the pirate captains... Um, I mean, it's implied many of them are having quite a lot of sex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Captain Illimith... We know one less <laughs> than other pirate captains but probably more sex than he ought to be having given that he is a decomposing corpse that's true uh, but very very few of them are like in any kind of formal relationship which is weird and if we're gonna like loop this back to a point at all uh, I think if you have already been DMing, DMing for a while and you come up with a lot of content that is now sanctified have a look at what you do and don't include just naturally yeah and um maybe you don't want to change that but it's probably still going to be interesting to see what you're naturally inclined to include or not
1: i have not you have a lot more um characters with like disabilities than i do i do i don't
0: always feel like garbage (laughs) like characters with disabilities who i'm incredibly happy with afterwards yeah like One of the reasons I wanted to expand on uh, Galliena as a character, eventually into the uh, complex villain that she is today, though much of that still remains under wraps until, like, the big plot gets swung, uh, is, like, when I created her just basically as an evil-for-evil's-sake villain, the realization that I had created um, what is essentially a permanently disabled chronic pain sufferer as the most evil being in the whole of creation was deeply unsettling to me. So, I mean, like... Beyond that, uh, I guess there was Amaria. Yeah, um, uh, Amaria's disability is because she is an ex-player character, and like the injury um, that caused her disability actually happened in the game she was running.
1: I see. She
0: had her leg crushed by a giant robot falling on her. All
1: right, and I mean, there's also all the people of um the the Temple of Vesasak. A lot of them have like physical disabilities and stuff. Uh,
0: they do, but again, those are not generally like naturally gained. Uh generally it's just worshipping Vesasite for an extended period of time in an institutional context will cause you to start like mutating, kind of. Oh. So if there's something I want to improve about like how I give characters disabilities, there are very few of them who have um like natural disabilities that you would get in like either innately from being born mm. or in like context of like normal life that you would have which would not be uncommon to those kinds of people even uh i think especially because of the fairly restrictive rules on how healing works in my world which would basically mean that if you don't get a cleric to that injury pretty quickly um i mean like let's imagine that something fucked up happened to your leg Hmm. you're gonna walk again but you're probably not gonna like stop limping the rest of your life
1: oh yeah i mean i mean I think I, I'm kind of okay with the idea that things like magic and weird sci-fi shit can cause disability because that makes sense. Other disabled people might feel differently which it's, is fine. It's
0: kind of a difficult uh, concept to address I think yeah, because it's like, a lot of people have a lot of... To be clear mm-hmm. um, we're both disabled right? Yeah. In a variety of different ways. Um, mm-hmm. My disability uh... My disability disability is neurological and I have also a bunch of mental illnesses that are generally counted under the umbrella of, of disability, mm. which I don't particularly want to talk about, but Beth, yeah. um, I don't actually know like how much it's, you're willing to...
1: It's it, It's neurological and it's physical, Mhm. but it is the same thing that causes that. But I won't get too much into it.
0: Well, we, we don't need to get too much no, into it, just, but uh, just to the know. point that there is yeah. a, a very like, large ongoing very conflict-based discussion around that.
2: Yeah.
0: uh, Around uh, the way disability is viewed in society and how it should turn up in media, uh, which we both, I think, occasionally participate in. Mm. But, obviously, it's way easier to formulate uh, what your opinions are in the long term when you have, like, a good big planning Think about that. Mm. Generating disabled characters on the fly is a lot different.
1: No, yeah, that's true, yeah.
0: So... I think, uh, to loop back again to our main point, don't beat yourself up too much about what you put into characters that you generate on the fly. Yeah. Unless it's something that you probably should have known in the moment was not okay. Yeah. And like, you have to go pretty serious for that. It has to be like, you know, um, I can't really think of anything suitably fucked up. And if I did, it would probably be too fucked up for me to want to like talk about it. Uh.
1: i i do not accidentally on the fly you guys were traveling through a forest and you discovered that these bandits had accidentally kidnapped a nomad now i didn't even think (laughs) that you'd be like whoa hold on do these people think that this person isn't a person because they've got a different skin color and ethnicity i was just like yeah whatever that's something that happened and then i was like Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah.
0: For the longest time, this is why I didn't put sl- uh, slavery uh, mm. in my game. Like, quite apart from the fact that I don't particularly find the concept of slavery very, very palatable, and didn't want it to be in my fantasy universe. But there are other, ima- you know, horrible things in that imaginary world. Mm. I think the main thing was because I didn't want to improvise um, slaving bands. Yeah. So until the the bailiffs turned up. And I think the bailiffs are a way of framing slavery that I find a lot less, uh, I wouldn't say like distasteful because the bailiffs are horrible people Mm -hmm. and what they're doing is exploiting the poor Mm -hmm. uh, and essentially everybody actually. Because even if you have a reasonably large amount of money, the bailiffs can uh, decide that your crime is sufficiently uh, severe that it will cost more money than you will ever be able to make in your entire life. Mm-hmm. but the idea that the bailiffs did not have any like particular um like uh, ethnic or um ability based background that they went after that it was specifically related to global economics yeah was i thought a lot safer in regards to what they might say when you met them and the kinds of people that they might target yeah which is kind of bad because like, transforming an otherwise complex issue into specifically um, a class war-based issue uh, is very much like what those really annoying people in, like, the Socialist Workers' Party and shit do. Yeah. But whatever. I no, find it I, safer know, I th- I for them to I think to some extent,
1: not... you know, you have to kind of get... You know, when you are a writer and you maybe don't have... And you have certain privileges... You kind of have to, if you want to kind of go there, sometimes it's acceptable, I think, to make it so that you still have that analogy and you still kind of go there, but you are doing it from a perspective that you know about or that you feel more comfortable talking about. Which isn't always the best, but... Yeah, it's it's not. I think,
0: yeah, what I want to say here is... Um... When you're setting up things that you are going, you know you are going to do on the fly, you're going to make up on the fly, um, generate as if you were a roguelike, mm. think, can I foresee any combinations of these building pieces that I will be assembling essentially randomly mm. that would be fucked up enough that I would be upset that I had created it? Mm. Um, just because of the possibility that when you're not thinking that might happen. Um, because it's it's perfectly fine for you to hold back on the kind of building tools that you use for things, stuff that you make up, uh, that you improvise, mm. um, rather than the stuff that you actually have like a plan to think about. And I think that's relevant in basically any context. You know, that this it's it's okay to make the stuff that you improvise simpler and easier to handle than the stuff that you've had a good much longer time to think about. Mm. Yeah. So you know I mean I mean, of course you can make um resolutions to be like I'm gonna include more of this stuff like now I've noticed um I'm gonna I think make an effort when I introduce characters to have more characters who are uh in relationships oh I remembered another one very very briefly uh there was an elvish farmer and his wife that the other group met oh uh, yeah and he he had a mustache hmm because uh, I was I was testing out elves with mustaches as a concept. Yeah. <laughs> uh, before uh, Perrin turned up in yes. your game. Yes. Um, I
1: mean, I guess te- technically, like, Perrin's in a relationship with Wanda, but it's Yeah, a but quite one. a
0: lot of people are in a relationship with Wanda, and it's not really, like, institutionally ratified. She ran away from the only wedding that she was ever going to have. That's so. true, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of relationships there, but not really like ongoing relationships. Yeah.
1: Man, I really want to play one day in a one shot game one day. That's,
0: I'd, uh, <laughs> I don't uh... know. I I I would warn against playing the parents of other PCs in uh, in one shot games because I've done that before and uh, my my character's mum got killed. Oh no, <laughs> it was terrible. <clears throat> so what else is there?
1: Um. odds are you're probably going to introduce characters and those characters have to be distinct and different and they
0: must perform a certain function this is difficult and annoying so (laughs) there are some things that we could maybe touch on that would really help Mm. people do this
1: now there are actually tables in the DMG for this like character traits and stuff like that um, which is cool I forget which page it's on and I'm I honestly can't be bothered to get my DMG but um it does have that that kind of a thing there but certainly
0: generally I think what you want to be doing is the narrative I don't mean to call it, but the, the flow of the game will build a space around the vacuum that needs this character inserted into it yeah so what you want is a character who will interact properly with that space hmm. do the player characters need to be inconvenienced in some way well let's make a bureaucrat who mm. has some kind of power over them, so uh, maybe let let's make a character with some altruistic traits um do you want this character to be memorable Le- okay this is I think we, we can we can uh switch onto a, a track here that we maybe want to talk about um memorable characters the if you're not playing with a a mat all the time and if you are playing with a mat all the time, what the fuck are you doing uh But if you're not, then the best medium you have for communicating uh, notable things about a character is speech. Because that's largely how you're going to be communicating. And people are going to remember the way that a character is talking constantly way more than they're going to remember your brief description of what the character looks like. As far as character appearance goes, they're probably going to remember the race and gender of the character you specify. Hmm. And that's about it. Like, they might remember the name after a couple of visits. I'm terrible with names, so, you know, that's that's not great. But mm. the voice, they will remember. So the more distinct voices you can have on hand for different characters, the better.
1: Mm. But I think my problem when it comes to voices, which I have gotten more confident in using, mm. is I have, like, three standard different voices. One's kind of a posh lady, one's kind of a posh guy, one's an old lady, and the other one is child, right? Mm. And then every other voice I do is really weird and really stands out, and I hate that because then it's like, well, I have to save this for a special character now, and I, I don't. Well, I don't... This
0: is, the thing is, like, it doesn't. Ha- voices don't have to be for special characters because if you can standardize a voice amongst a group of characters, hmm. like uh, posh ladies, old ladies, That's posh true. men, and children. I mean, I feel like children probably. Would, would appreciate being split into more uh, <laughs> factions than just children, but that's why they're children. They don't have as much agency as adults do. No, yeah. But, for instance, um, in my game, uh, you can probably identify things like the race and social class of a character by what accent I give them, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. Like
0: yeah. Um, orcs, particularly uh, misleading orcs, I tend to talk like this all the time. It's um, sort of like weird faux Cockney accent uh and it's just orcs and half orcs who who talk like that so it's it's a good way to identify oh this character is an orc and probably not a posh orc although posh orcs are generally only a thing in in uh, in varash in varash everybody talks in my terrible scandinavian-esque uh, <laughs> they accent they do yeah <laughs> which is not particularly hel- except the king who talks in a Christopher Lee impression because yeah. I was I wanted to try and convey the king looks exactly like Christopher Lee on the front of Christopher Lee's metal album. Mm. Like that is that is just that's what the king looks like. But um then there's uh all of Dragonborn talk talk like this. Weirdly Dragon not talk like this, only Dragonborn. So that's that's Dragonborn culture there. That's Slavic dragonborn are are a thing. Slavic humans apparently not a thing. But then, it's 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 an easy shorthand, I think, for characters who you want to convey an amount of information about in a very short time.
1: I know that I'm working on my uh, Bill Cipher impression for um, the big bad of my campaign. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Yay. Which I just yeah. I just practice by saying well 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 over and over again in a really high pitched annoying voice.
0: <laughs>
1: that I I I don't I don't know if uh, if I, I'm it's it's not ready yet it's not ready.
0: The main problem comes when a key character turns up and you're still not sure of what their voice should be. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. Skedrenth I think I have a reasonable amount of flexibility with because Skedrenth is a god and does not have to assume the same shape, voice, face, Mm -hmm. general state of being in two different places. Um, But there was a character who I can't mention in Beth's presence because that's a spoiler. uh, But a character who the other group uh, in my other game have been talking to a lot recently. Um, And I picked a voice for him that sounds very uh, dramatic uh, because he is a very large physically character uh, and I don't mean like in the sense that there are some wrestlers who are large I mean in the sense that that he is like the size of a large building um and the voice I've chosen really really hurts my throat so having extended conversations with this character is not ideal so maybe try and consider that when you're um, mm. thinking about you know what kinds of voices do I want to give a character it's like are players going to be communicating with this character a lot? Maybe if they are, give that character a voice you can actually do for extended periods.
1: Mm. It also helps if the voice isn't hilarious. One of my secret shames is my granddad used to do a really good Donald Duck impression. Okay? Um, mm. And it was really good. Um, and he taught me how to do it. But I can't do it anymore. I've, I've lost my Donald Duck. And <sighs> I don't know if I can get him back. And that that really just breaks my heart because whenever I see something like, I want to hear this in Donald Duck's voice, I'm like, I'd do it, but I haven't been able to do it since I was like five. So heartbreaking. Oh
2: no. Uh,
0: I don't know. So yeah, there's, there's a lot that you can do with voices. Um, if you're running out of voices as a... Thing to, to improv for different characters, then you can also do limited improv with character descriptions. Hmm. Uh, f- it's not... Look, everybody of our age and under, essentially, and possibly a couple of years older, is going to have had the DeviantArt phase, I think. Oh, shit. So I can see why there are some people who look back on who they used to be and the kinds of communities they used to be in and think, I do not want... Characters who stand out from the the crowd by having ridiculously unlikely uh, character traits, and that can go too far because occasionally, like those people, then get into uh, the idea that there are some character traits which are not actually particularly like uncommon at all. Uh, like, for instance, not being white or not being able bodied, and it's like, no, that's 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 a thing that happens to lots of real people. That's not uncommon or special snowflakey or you think that
1: that's special snowflakey i once was doing an anti sue anti mary sue litmus test and one of the questions was does your character have siblings apparently having a brother or a sister makes your character a mary sue
0: I would have thought that the exact opposite would be common. I thought a lot of Mary Sue's were supposed to be only children. Because no,
1: could, like... no, 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 no. Appa- apparently, if you've got That sounds sim- like
0: bullshit to me. It
1: does sound like fucking I mean, bullshit. the entire
0: concept it? of a Mary Sue kind of sounds like bullshit to me. But whatever. <laughs> anyway, um, for a player, that's quite easy because you only have to do one character, and you can go yeah. into a lot of depth with that character. <laughs> DMS kind of can't do that. Mm. You need notable characters who stick out and you don't need them to be in too much depth unless they're like an arc villain or something. Yeah. So Galliena, I am prepared to put some characterization into. Um, Sigrid Fyotra, I was prepared to put in a certain amount of characterization into just because she was um, like a hub boss mm. that the players would constantly be coming back to. Um, the members of uh, the Society of Quiet Protectors are... I, I tend to try and put... Oh, Actually, I, can I talk about the Society of Quiet Protectors? Because I know you guys haven't interacted with them a huge amount.
1: Sure, go but for I
0: think, it. I think they are kind of like an example of sort of my pet project as a DM in notable characters. It's Yeah, sure. It's essentially the Avengers, but old people. <laughs> the, the society, so, so
1: it's the Justice Society of America then?
0: I, not even that. Like... There's the Society of Quiet Protectors is almost universally known as the Knitting Circle. Everybody in it calls it that, except Ottomac the Insoled Machine, who insists on calling it the Society of Quiet Protectors. But it's just this bunch of people who are either very old or functionally immortal, who have just decided that they are going to quietly resolve world-threatening problems. And there's there's a vampire, there's the very old human woman, who is just a very old human woman, and is therefore, ironically, the youngest person there. Um, there's uh, a triant, a dragon. Like, neither of them turn up a huge amount, but they are there. There's two elves. Um, there's a druid, an accomplished druid, who has got the the thing druids get where they stop aging properly. Um, I, I mentioned the vampire, right? The, the vampire lord is, like, the, the de facto leader. And... They are just a bunch of uh, characters who players in certain locations have to interact with quite frequently, and I just I like the Society of Quiet Protectors just because they they are interacted with a lot because they act as quest givers and also because they sometimes try to help or hinder the the players depending on what they're doing, and they all have the same goal but they're all different people, which is great and. They, I think, require a little bit more planning, but you could certainly, like, make them up, um, you know, just off the top of your head. Because what I had was the society were gathering, so every time players were invited back to their clubhouse, as it were, there would be more of them there, and I would just make up more at the time. Now things have changed, and I actually made up a bunch of them at once. But you could do that kind of thing um, if you want to, like, get in a bit of practice. Yeah. So... Don't try and go into as much depth with the characters you generally create as players do, because it's not necessary. Yeah, and players get a lot more mm. uh, opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, I think I think you know characters who they're going to react react you know characters who they're going to interact with frequently. Yeah, go ahead. Like I know Kaluna has a lot of characterization. Um,
0: yeah, but that's because Azrael. Uh, yeah, Azrael is, is communicating almost constantly with Kaluna. Yeah. Uh, much to Kaluna's consternation, that Asriel still will not tell the other. Yes. <laughs> that, that Kaluna uh, exists.
1: Yeah. K- kaluna's just like, what? Why won't you? Don't, don't, don't. And you... Asriel's
0: like, because I don't trust any of these are people.
1: You, are you ashamed of me? I don't no, get
0: why. No, I just. Why you won't? I just hate all of them. <laughs>
2: uh,
1: but yeah, I, I definitely want. You know, obviously, like, the big bad
0: has characterization. Yeah, you you do want that. You want the characters that (laughs) the players are going to spend a lot of focused time either talking to or otherwise interacting with to have Mm. characterization. Mm. So it's worth, I think, planning those out a bit or developing them as you go. Yeah. But other characters, generally, it's good enough just to have a bunch of stock characters in your head and slotting them in where you can find them.
2: Mm. Honestly, I had it, yeah. a
0: pair of uh, Elvish librarians whose relationship is lifted straight out of uh, Newton Herman's relationship in Pacific Rim. Yeah. They work together in close proximity constantly. They hate each other. One of um, them is is very uh, sedate. The other is very manic. You know, they 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 have different. Um, ideas, and somehow they work really well together.
1: Yeah. I, I really want to um, drop two characters who are like Sans and Papyrus from Undertale in there.
0: You're going to have to do it eventually, because you've, you've talked before about how I know, difficult it is for you I, not to drop a Papyrus character at least. I know, I
1: really want to do that voice. <laughs> it's like, it's constantly like, just killing me not to be able to do it because it's just like... I just I gotta you know, it's
0: And hey, if you start having fun with that kind of thing, then just do it. You know, yeah. if you if you have a voice in your head that you really want to do, drop a character who can do that voice. Um like when these guys are wandering through the, the, the forest. Well the, the marsh really. Uh, I had them stop in a clearing full of trees because I wanted to <clears throat> <clears throat> ant character who like this all the time. <clears throat> It's a very fascinating story that you're telling me. I would like to hear more while you stand here and forget where you were going, and I slowly turn you into trees. Just for the company, you understand. You know.
2: Yeah.
0: But the, the, that character started with the voice, continued with being a tree ant because that was what was appropriate for the setting, and about halfway through the conversation, got to the "I am going to make you forget what you were doing and turn you into trees" bit. Yeah. Which was a, a bit more malevolent than I had originally planned the character, but otherwise it wasn't a very interesting interaction.
1: Yeah, we managed to talk him out of it though, so it was fine.
0: It's very funny that you talk <laughs> the malevolent treeant out of stopping, uh, out of um, turning you into trees, yeah. just by going, "Our mission is really important," and he was like, mm, "How important?" <laughs> and you were like, "Everybody might die if we don't <laughs> don't stop this person." And he's like, "Oh." well, that sounds very important. I probably shouldn't uh, keep you any longer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's like, wow, okay. Just, cool. just, just pull your roots out there. I haven't got in very far. You should be fine. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's
0: an amusing interaction. Um, uh, character motivations as well can yes. be a thing that you can improvise. I'm pretty sure that you improvised that bear. Oh, yeah. Do you want to talk about the bear?
1: Yes. Uh, so, um, the forest... Um, which is known as the the mystical woods, is a forest filled with um, talking animals, and that's you know to be clear, most. It
0: is the forest that conveys the ability to talk upon them, right?
1: Yes, yes. If if they leave the forest, they would no longer be able to talk. Um, and I was like, oh man, it's been a while since we had an encounter. I should probably give them an encounter and and have a fight. So I was like, have a bear.
0: And so this bear turns up. And so this bear. And, turns and we're off. like, oh fuck. That's a bear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we can't fight a bear. Bears are very large and kill humans when they find them. Yeah. Uh, oh, but this bear can talk. So we were like, let's talk to the bear.
1: Yeah. And, um. I feel like I did a voice for the bear, but I can't remember what the voice was.
0: I, I think actually the voice was your normal voice, uh, was just it? maybe a bit gruffer.
1: Oh, right. Yeah. Like,
0: definitely the bear had your accent.
1: Yeah. Well, I think everyone has my accent.
0: Uh, I I think the posh lady voice, it does the best job at hiding your accent.
1: Does it? Yeah. I I had, to be honest, that is the one that, like, whenever I played a character in drama, that's always the voice I would use if it wasn't my Texan.
0: That's actually surprising to me, because I'd have thought the posh lady voice would be really difficult for you to project. No. Because she's so quiet.
1: Wait, which posh lady voice are we talking
0: about? The one who talks like this all the time, you know, uh... I think she's a little, a little bit more floaty than this, because this sounds a little bit like the the old lady voice. But um, <laughs> oh, she uh, she's just sort of um, you know, hands out quests, because that's all posh ladies do, you know, just sort of get other people to do things for them.
1: Oh, that one.
0: Hmm. I think like Kaluna sometimes has that voice. Oh uh, yeah,
1: I try and go a bit American with Kaluna, but yeah.
0: Mm. Like- Whereas I fucked myself up with Meslin because there's a whole load of places where it's like it's like colonial Louisiana but not. So now yeah. some characters randomly have French accents, but I'm not very good at French accents. So sometimes I introduce random German characters.
1: Yeah, I remember when we walked back into Messlin, everyone was like, oh, 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 "Monsieur, Monsieur," and I was like, "What the fuck? Everyone's fucking French. And we're like, We've always been French. You just never realized it." And it's like. <laughs>
0: Except the Oaks, they are weird cockney things (laughs) because they are a lower class of uh, oppressed minorities.
1: (laughs) We do not understand what it is. That's even French? What the fuck's that?
0: Well, one? that's the thing. Is like my French accent is really, really bad. So I'm like, whenever I can, I'm like, I'm gonna introduce. No, this is a German character now, mm-hmm. because I find this German character much easier. Except that's still fucking French because now I've done the French accent. I can't do the German <laughs> yeah, one. No, like... I just don't want to start with the French one because yeah. then all characters become French. Uh, no, yeah.
1: Monsieur, terrible. Monsieur. A... You know what actually has ruined all my French, French characters accent? are
0: constantly attempting to get your attention. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why they say <laughs> Monsieur, Monsieur. All monsieur, time.
1: Monsieur. Je m'appelle Pierre. You know
2: what?
0: But yeah, and it's like honestly, the the one that, that fucks me up the most is the Elven Empire, right? Because the 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 elves are based on um the Roman Empire. Yeah. But nobody knows what Latin accent sounded like, and yeah. I can't do contemporary Italian. <laughs> So I just do that voice that all Romans in the movies have, which is Romans talk in Received Pronunciation, which is fucked up because actual English people, even posh actual English people, do not talk in Received Pronunciation. Received Pronunciation is for the television. Mm. Like that's the thing. As a lot of people like, oh, oh the the British, the, the stereotypical British accent is a Received Pronunciation. Like, no, it isn't. Received Pronunciation is a made-up accent for use on television news. That's all it's used for like not even the poshest people talk that way they will talk in a less efficient manner
1: i mean you know the, the only thing i know about really posh british people is, that is instead they have of a different saying, fucking
0: accent from the rest of us
1: they, instead of saying yes they go like they go like it's, i'm not even gonna do it because i was like they go yes but they don't go yes that's raptors in that one video, yes, it's it's like yeah yeah yeah, you know, I went American oh, there, no. yeah yeah, no. I went on my gap year and stuff like yes, that.
0: Yes, right, that is um fucking Cambridge students. Yeah, <laughs> I think Oxford students more obviously because you know Cambridge students slightly different, but uh, yeah. that same kind of thing. Yeah, uh, which also translates over to Ireland, uh, uh, Ireland. Ireland. The landmass on which I I, I currently am. Uh, because in Dublin their posh people also sound like that but Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I, I think it, it translates a lot. you know. Mm. So if you want to get better at improvising, in, increase your toolkit. Uh, listen to more accents and attempts to imitate them. Listen to more uh emotions and modes of speech and Mm -hmm. means of imitating them speech is very important if you can't do speech um then try and get better uh but if you genuinely can't then uh try and do what you can with descriptions uh so like do some research on fashions and what their social uh signifiers are one of Uh, my tips
1: would be if you're playing like um an a game with a lot of text and not a lot of voice acting, my suggestion would be to do the voices of those characters while you're um, playing along.
0: You just want to hear everybody's Papyrus voice, don't I you? I do want to hear everybody's you so text. transparent, Beth.
1: <laughs> I know. I just, I really love everyone's different Papyrus voice.
0: See, I've not done voice acting as Sans or Papyrus yet, but mm. I kind of feel like the voices I would want to do for them is I would want to make... The noise that they make in place of speech, uh-huh. and then whatever voice I'm in from making that noise, that is their voice.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Like I, I was, like for Sans, maybe I would start off going, oh, 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 oh. and then <laughs> oh, 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 thought, thought like yeah. this, you know, wherever, wherever shape my throat is in, or well, when I'm finished making that noise, that's Papyrus's <laughs> voice. <laughs> yeah, That kind of yeah. thing.
1: I think I go by more character design though I do not know where the fucking hell Papyrus' voice comes from I was like, I'm gonna try and do Skeletor and it didn't sound anything like Everybody Skeletor Everybody tries
0: to do Skeletor though I'm probably because, you know, Papyrus is a tall, overdramatic skeleton <laughs> so it's, it's the connection is there <laughs> and also because, you know yeah. uh, he goes, eh, 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 eh. eh
1: yeah, yeah. stop plaguing my life with incidental music and it's just like, that's not Skeletor's voice at all but that's, that's the voice I've given him, and that's his voice.
0: So, yeah, play to the medium, as far as your uh, improv goes. Voice is important. If you can't do voice, description is important. If you can't do description, um, maybe brush up on that before you carry on being a DM, because one of those things is important. Uh, But you can use visual aids if you are still bad at that. Like Maybe you are one of those players who constantly has a battle mat out. If you do... Maybe uh, try and find, like, miniatures that are good for, like, being, like, standing out or conveying something about a character. That's probably going to end up being expensive. I'm sorry. It's it's kind of the price you pay for not being able to do voices or descriptions. Um, uh, Maybe instead you use um, counters on your battle mat. If you do, find some images of, like, a bunch of diverse different characters. Use those images as this is what this character looks like. I actually heard of uh, somebody who uses uh, magic cards printed with Magic Set Editor to denote character profiles and spells and stuff like that. Maybe you could do that. Oh. Cool. So there's, there's options out there, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's important as a DM to, uh, to be able to improvise when things go wrong.
1: Yeah, I and think. obviously, if you're not good at it now, you will get better at it the more you DM you and... You know, obviously my advice is if you have a group that really minds about your improvising skills and, like, really, like, gets impatient, don't play with those people, they're assholes.
0: If your group are all good at improvising for their characters, then it's going to show up you as a DM if you can't keep pace with them because if they're all very good at it and they all indulge being very good at it, presumably they all enjoy it. So I think... The standard rules of improv kind of apply. Um, Of course, yes and doesn't always apply because you as a DM do have to sometimes say no. But the framework is already set up for that. Um, In terms of uh, building, though, um, I think it does hold true that it is much better to build on what somebody else has done rather than blocking it. So if a character says something, you should be prepared for your character to be able to react. Uh, Or for, you know, the character that you're currently playing as a DM. The quest giver or the shopkeeper, whatever they're interacting with, um, has to be... And maybe they would react drastically. Like, maybe something that a PC says causes them to, like, run away or call the police or something like that, you know? It doesn't have to be... they they have to brush everything off. So, yeah, there's a lot of... of, uh, Obviously... No wimping, but as a DM, that's kind of important because you're driving most of the plot. So if you're just constantly being reactive to everything the players say, that's not helpful at all. Don't do that.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, you
0: know, um, do you want to talk briefly about the other kind of improv? Because we kind of strayed heavily into characters. Um, so want to
1: remind talk about me what maybe, the other uh, kind of
0: improv... Uh, wh- when things go wrong.
1: Ah, yes, when things go wrong. Um... Don't sweat it, just dance to the beat of your own drum.
0: <laughs> so this is where... This is actually like pretty similar to the, to the other kind, in that in the other kind, if players do something unexpected to a character, you need to know enough about that character to know how they would react. Here, it's if players mm. do something unexpected to a location or a period of time, then you need to know enough about that uh, geopolitical environment mm. to know how it will react and that, this is this is where that, world building comes in
1: yeah let's say for example um the group has destroyed a local blacksmithy through magical mishaps mm-hmm. how are the people in that street going to react
0: well first of all any quests that end in that blacksmithy are going to at least be delayed maybe the blacksmith <laughs> is going to set up somewhere else temporarily for the time being but uh, probably doesn't like the players uh, Mm -hmm. for having destroyed it and maybe either won't deal with them at all or deals with them at a like severe uh, hiked cost.
2: Mm -hmm. There's
0: also um, local people have been deprived of a resource. Uh, The resource provides Mm -hmm. weapons and armor, so presumably the town is now less well defended. Maybe the players now have to deal with like, marauding monsters that attack the town because there isn't any maintenance for the weapons and armour of the the guard.
2: Mm.
1: Hmm. I think in... It depends which city you're in. In Cranzenfort, this is a massive inconvenience at the time you're in, because in Cranzenfort, they're rebuilding after a war, so you have basically just massively deprived a really vital part of the community. He's not going to want to deal with you ever. Um, you're probably going to be arrested and dragged in front of the Lord of Cranston Forts. You could be personally punished, which is going to lead to you meeting Lord Harper, which, of course, will open up stuff that he might want you to do. But, yeah, they're they're not going to be pleased. You do it in Celesti. well, you know, the, the local blacksmith on the other side of the road who's been harsh rivals with that blacksmithy since, like, ever might be willing to push a few coins your way and maybe some uh, cheaper equipment, but the city guard will be called and you will be arrested also. And then you'll have to go on trial! <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, uh, I found when players were running in uh the Elven Empire, the constant threat of anything weird happening was you will draw attention to yourself, the guard might be called, if the guards is called there is a chance that the one of you who is a priest will be found to be a priest and you will all be arrested for heresy which eventually did happen and they were they were uh, they were sent to prison uh, for worshipping hmm. gods yeah which is illegal
1: <coughs> it's it's just sort of about um thinking of interesting things that could happen you know like um as well but sometimes it's about kind of reeling people back into the yeah, plan that you've got for them. Obviously,
0: the plan that you originally had is the strongest, and if you can find a natural way to try and nudge them back onto it without railroading mm. them too much, that's going to be best for you.
1: Yeah. Like, I did basically something very clever last session that I don't think anybody realised. I was really proud of myself. Was that I managed to kind of coincide everything into them entering the royal palace, which they didn't really seem to want to do at all, but I was like... No, you can't go in his house. You have to go to yeah. the Royal Palace for it that. That was
0: very irritating. I think the mistake there was that you only gave the, the quest to go into the house to one person. Not in the house, the, uh, the Royal Palace to one person, which yeah. meant that other members of the party were not particularly interested in doing that, especially when there yeah. was like the actual point, the reason why we came to this town, no, yeah. uh, still available. So yeah, it's but... definitely, if you've miscalculated the way that your players would act then there's a little bit of railroading you can do uh, in yeah, improvisation but, to like uh, yeah. get them on the right track.
1: At the same time, though, sometimes your railroading, people won't notice that it all comes together, but they yeah. will eventually. So any annoyance you cause will If you do it you too harshly, people
0: will notice, and they will be annoyed. Yeah. So try yeah. and use it sparingly. Yeah. If there's but a I, chance that a, a side quest can loop entirely through itself, resolve, and then leave space for the main quest without any real consequence... Just let them do the side quest first. Yeah, it's fine. don't yeah. worry. Don't worry. And vice versa, you know, it's it's not a particularly big deal unless the two quests are going to clash with each other, um, time wise or resource wise or whatever. And hell, even if they are, uh, it might just be a good idea to have like the players come at something from a different angle. Like maybe they discover all the stuff out of order, and that messes things up. Yeah. Like, uh, try to think time when my players have done that uh, not certain actually uh i think some players have done it but generally it's in like one shots are called cthulhu or something so it's not entirely uh, relevant i don't think oh no the, the one thing of course is if you have a um a plan as to what is going to happen along an, a certain period of time to the world as affected by the characters and the characters. Do something unexpected, and that time is being taken up. Make the natural consequences of the thing you'd set up happen. Like my characters, the, the, uh, Beth and and Co uh, decided to go to Varash instead of going to the uh, to the um, the Empire, and had skipped out on going to the Empire once before. So I'm like, okay, uh, the Imperial Civil War happened. Players in the other group got to attempt to prevent it and actually resolve it fairly quickly. Uh, but no, the Imperial Civil War happened, uh, thousands of refugees coming out of the Empire, many thousands dead also, uh, succession crisis as well, probably, um, government structure crisis, probably, come to think of it, uh, and still no resolution. So there you go.
1: We'll get there one day. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to it. You know, sometimes it's just about, you know event you know like eventually you're gonna run out of stuff you've planned to do and eventually you're gonna have to kind of be like okay right guys <laughs> I need you to go do this thing yeah um you know like c- c- come on like you should we're running and get out of shit to the point
0: where the things that the players do drive the story in terms of how the world reacts to them because then oh yeah lot no less definitely yeah have to do yeah you know that's really the best situation for you and everyone else
1: yeah i mean i know there are several things that the party have done and i'm already like well this is gonna come back
0: so yeah um i think maybe we got a bit off uh, a bit bit vague towards the end there but uh, that's yeah the yeah really you just have to keep trying to get better at this it's um yeah it's pretty important as a dm um, so I think that's a lot of the reason why people are encouraged to be players before they're DMs. Not just because being a DM is harder, but also because if you're a player, you get a lot of practice in about how to uh, improv one character before you have to like instead spread that out over a bunch of different characters. So uh, I would definitely recommend that. You know, if you're just getting into the game, maybe don't DM. Uh, mm. Maybe be a player first.
1: Yeah, uh, I would say definitely any any game really that you're playing. If you're playing it for the first time, don't DM it as your um, first initiation. If all of you are for the first
0: time, but... then maybe you're going to have a bit of a problem, but there are some games out there that are sort of collaborative in the way that they... but uh, like there isn't really a DM. It's all, like, done between you. Uh, and possibly those would be best uh, for people mm-hmm. who all want to try and get some experience with that at the same time, you know? Yeah. Or maybe you could do one of those things I've heard yeah. about where, like, you're all in the same universe, but, like, you take turns being DM every week. I never really got Uh, how this works, but they seem to be really popular amongst the people who ask questions on uh, RPG Stack Exchange. Yeah. Anyway. um, So, uh, this has been House of Bards. Uh, I'm Alex.
1: Yeah, and I was Beth. Okay. Well, I'm still Beth.
0: Yeah, you'll probably continue to be Beth in the future. Yeah. Uh, Whereas I am only Alex in the current moment stretching into eternity in both directions but never becoming anything more than the present. The music was mm-hmm. by Kevin McLeod and there is a credit in the description for the uh, image that I used behind the, the text for the mm. album art. I think that's us so uh, from all of us House of Bards we will see you next time whenever we can record one of these when like Beth is not ill and I have actual time <laughs> to edit one together yeah. so uh, you know yeah, And remember,
1: if you have any questions for us for the Q&A episode, yes. please send them.
0: Yes, the Q&A episode. You can contact me at Cleaver Crummish on Twitter and Tumblr um, and also on YouTube. But if you want to contact us on YouTube, then just post a comment below. Um, mm-hmm. We really want to hear your questions for a Q&A podcast that we're going to put together. But we're not going to do the Q&A podcast unless we can get a good enough bulk of questions to answer.
1: Yeah. And this could be anything like how do you... What? How do you do the podcast? Uh, How long does it take you? How do you decide what to talk about?
0: You can ask us Uh, about either of the games that we run. I personally mm -hmm. run two games in the same universe. I know Beth runs... uh, Do you run anything else?
1: Not at the moment, no, but I really want to run an Apocalypse World campaign, and I really want to do a Dragon Age one.
0: Um, Uh, You can ask us about games that we have been in. I have mentioned my uh, friend Rex's uh, campaign, which is set in ancient Greece Uh, obviously I can't really talk about him as the end but I can talk about my character from that Um, we can talk about uh, things in in characters in games that we've we've played before but um, Mm. I kind of want to save some of those up for the story podcast yeah Uh, as
1: well um, you can ask us just about our influences, our things we enjoy, or um, writing advice to the, in general. Yeah, if you listen
0: to the podcast for writing advice, you can ask us more targeted mm-hmm. writing advice, and we will try and help. That's yeah, that's not off limits. That's not off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to ask us about something very mechanically related in the game, it's not generally our forte, given the the premise of the the podcast. No. But I'm I'm fine to to talk about that. If you want to ask me about Magic: The Gathering, then sure, do, do it. I will mm. give you terrible advice because I am bad <laughs> at the game and contemptuous of people who are good at it because. Mm. I tend to find being good at the game makes you not a nice person.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, I'm slightly good at Hearthstone, and I I act like a huge asshole, so...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know what that feels like. Feels good! But yeah, that's us. Uh, Keep Mm -hmm. that in mind, and we will see you next time.
1: Next time!
0: But you know what because ruined, nobody my... pays attention to French people, they are constantly <laughs> fated to, do... to be yelling, Bonjour, bonjour.
1: monsieur." Bonjour, Bonjour. I used to do a really good French, right? But I do genuinely think, right? And I, I love the musical Hamilton, but I genuinely do think that Marquis de Lafayette has ruined. Because I'm always now copying D.V. Diggs doing Lafayette. And obviously, I can't do that voice. <laughs> So yeah, I've, ru- I've, I've I've fucked myself over. So, so it's always like Monsieur, Monsieur, bonsoir, bonsoir, madame, how are you? I'm going to eat my onions now. Where my beret?
2: What's that? I don't know.
0: <laughs> but I'd ask you to stop it, please.